0: The coop and uh good evening everybody. Glad y'all are here tonight and uh thank you so very much for being here and uh I want to say ditto to what brother Jason said about uh brother Dave's message this past Sunday. Uh good stuff. And um uh, again it's great to see you and uh thank you all so very much for being here and um I'm just wondering, is the person cooking the spaghetti for the Shoes for Christ dinner, or are they in the building tonight? I'm just wondering. No? Sister Wheeler? Okay. I didn't want to assume, didn't want to call any names, so uh, I kind of had a suspicion that might it might be that person. So you'll for sure not want to miss the spaghetti dinner. And um, <clears throat> as Brother Jason just mentioned, this coronavirus thing, we need to start praying against that. And, uh, but uh, most of you probably saw it, but we'll share this tonight. We'll also share it Sunday uh, to give you a little comfort and peace of mind. But uh, we've all been following the news surrounding the coronavirus, COVID-19. And Grace Church would like to reassure each of you that we're doing everything in our power to be cautious and to remain a safe place. We'll share with you some of the things that we're doing and requests that we're asking of each of you. Uh, We will let you know that our entire campus, both buildings is cleaned and disinfected every week. All nursery surfaces and toys are disinfected every week. Soap is in every restroom. We ask that you wash your hands for at least 20 seconds using your drying towel to open the restroom door before depositing it in the trash. We have hand sanitizer in the lobby and in all of our classrooms, and um, uh, some of you may be aware, but uh, trying to find hand sanitizer right now is virtually impossible. So we'll use what we have until it's gone, and we just ask you to wash your hands with soap until that's gone, and then bring your own after that. We can't get it anywhere else. Um, This is going to be the hard part. As we greet you, we will refrain from shaking hands or hugging you. We'll give you just a friendly wave and a smile. But just because we're not shaking your hand doesn't mean we love you less. It's just trying to be safe. We ask that if you cough or sneeze, that you cough or sneeze into your elbow or disposable tissue. And if you're ill, if you're ill... Please stay home and not share it with everybody else and uh, you're welcome to connect with us via live stream from home so we're praying god's protection over each of you during this very trying time and i do lean heavily on second timothy 1 7 that says god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind and uh, and if we somebody suggested that Maybe all of our people 60 and up just need to just start staying home just to be safe. Well, what am I going to do? I'm I'm 62, and um, I'll risk it. I'll risk it. We're going to be here at Grace Church. But we'll hold service as absolutely as long as we can, and um, we're going to be as safe as we can, but... We're going to hold service, and I'm not going to get into all the politics of all this, but uh, I do believe personally a little bit of this is over the top, but we want to be rather safe than sorry. Err on the side of caution. So if you'd help us with all of this, we'd appreciate it. If you see things around the building or know things around the building that needs our attention, please let us know, and we'll do our best to correct it. I did tell somebody if we need to suspend having service, in the future um, I'll come up here on Sunday morning and we'll preach I'll preach to chairs but uh, we're going to have church one way or another and uh, if God will help us so thank you for your understanding and certainly thank you for your cooperation I want to launch a series tonight I, I, I really enjoy teaching series because most of you uh, are here every Wednesday night, especially the group that's here tonight. You're here. Most of you are here most of the time So it's nice to be able to do a series and have the same group here uh, every night uh, every Wednesday night and um, But I want to I want to make a few comments about this Before I get to it first of all, I'm gonna ask you for your latitude and patience with this series that we're going to be starting tonight uh, I introduced this material when our church was in Baker. Um, it's probably been 10, 15, probably about 15 years ago. Um, it's been a huge eye-opener for me, and I've never been able to get past it. Uh, it is the reason for our praise and worship. It's why we praise and worship the way we do. And um, I have enjoyed teaching this material And I just have felt for the past two or three months that I need to resurrect it and teach it again. So the subject that we're going to be exploring is going to be tedious. Uh, It may be easy for you to get distracted, but I'm going to ask you to do your best not to. Because if you'll hang with me, it's going to take me at least two lessons, two Wednesday nights I'll have to teach before I can really get into the heart of this series But um, again, it'll be a little tedious from time to time and maybe a little hard to understand and to follow, but bear with me. I think everybody's going to be okay. I'm going to do my best not to go too fast and not going to try to teach too long. Um, But the the title of this series is The Tabernacle of David. And it has to do with praise and worship. And um, I've yet to find another minister that i know that's even heard of it um and that's very shocking to me of all the camp meeting services other places i've been to her preaching i've never heard anyone talk about it and i think if if more of our ministry could get their hands on this idea it would revolutionize and legitimize and make our worship and praise more genuine you would understand more about biblical praise and worship. I do want to make this statement uh, in the very beginning. In our current American culture, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of people even here tonight that would feel comfortable going to a church like Solomon's Temple because it's too rich. too. too You've got to be a millionaire to go to that church, a multi-millionaire to go to that church. That would be the impression. But what people don't understand is when David designed Solomon's Temple, built by Solomon, He was making it, pouring as much wealth and quality, everything he could do to show God how amazing God was to him. That was the point. And I think about 99% of church people miss it. And um, So let me launch into this and um, we'll see how it goes. If it gets too tedious and people quit coming and whatever, we'll... Just go ahead and teach it without you being here. So um, <laughs> anyway, I love our church. You you guys have a great sense of humor. But before launching into the study of uh, the, the Tabernacle of David, it's not a literal tabernacle, and that's what people miss. That's why people don't even catch it in the Bible as much as it's mentioned. It would be profitable to refer to important principles using used in uh, interpreting scripture. For it is through the discovery and use of these that the truth is to be found. For example, in Proverbs chapter 25 verse 2, the Bible said, It is the glory of God, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. So God conceals it and it's up to us to search it out. And that's where Revelation comes in to be. It should be remembered. It should be remembered that the early church, the book of Acts church, had no New Testament. They didn't have the King James Version. They wrote the New Testament. And hopefully we all understand that. Their New Testament, their New Testament was to be found... In the Old Testament. So concerning the Old and the New Testaments, it can be aptly said that the New Testament is in the Old Testament contained, the Old Testament is in the New Testament explained, the New is in the Old concealed, the Old is in the New revealed, the New is in the Old enfolded or camouflaged, if you will. The old is in the new, unfolded, or exposed. So because the New Testament had not been written or completed in early church history, the apostles were continually appealing to the Old Testament writings to affirm and confirm everything that God was doing in their midst they wanted biblical value to what God was doing with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and water baptism and speaking in tongues. They had to have biblical value uh, to be able to propagate that around the world. And they, they, they wanted a scriptural base as we do here. So I want you to notice in Luke 24 verse 44, Jesus opened an understanding. Uh, for some of his disciples and he gave them a threefold division of the old testament the bible said he said unto them these are the words which i spake unto you while i was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of moses and in the prophets and in the psalms concerning me so Jesus is telling them if you need to affirm who I am, you'll have to go back to the Old Testament to do it. They didn't have a New Testament. Now a lot of our one God scriptures that we use today are in the New Testament. The relationship, the titles, God Father, Son, Holy Ghost, all of that. They didn't have that in the early church. They had to use the Old Testament. So Jesus gave a a threefold division of the Old Testament the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, and that all of those books were written concerning him. So in this passage in Luke, we find the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were very saddened because of the sufferings and death of Jesus. Various reports had come to their ears that he had risen and had appeared to certain of the women and even the disciples And so as they discussed walking down the Emmaus Road, by the way, the word Emmaus means a warm bath. Uh, I preached a sermon on that years ago. They were headed to just something lukewarm and easy and what have you. But as they discussed the tragic events of the last several days, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, and they did not recognize him. And there's a reason for that. He sealed himself to them. He concealed himself to them. Uh, Jesus asked them what sad things they were discussing. And upon being told, he began to kind of fuss at them for their slowness, slowness of spiritual perception. And he continued to walk with them and then began to expound unto them the Old Testament scriptures. So beginning at Moses, beginning with the law of Moses... And continuing on through the prophets, he expounded, he explained, and he interpreted the scriptures to them, teaching them those things concerning himself. He showed them that in the volume of the book, it was indeed written of him in Hebrews ten five through 9. He had come to do the Father's will and to fulfill in himself the Old Testament scripture. So you'll note again the threefold opening that the risen Jesus gave to these two disciples in Luke 24. Listen carefully. He opened their eyes in verse 31 that they could see the scripture. Then he opened the scriptures to them in verse 32. And then in verse 45, he opened their understanding. So there was a three-step process and them understanding the huge value and legitimacy of the Old Testament Scripture being fulfilled in Him. So He opened their eyes, He opened the Scriptures, and He opened their understanding. The word opened here means to open up completely, and is used literally and metaphorically in Scripture. So in verse 44, we have Christ on threefold division of the Old Testament, the Law, the Psalms, and the Prophets the law of the psalms and the prophets were as a sealed book to these two disciples until jesus just risen from the dead unlocks and breaks the seals of those verses to those two disciples he must open the spiritual eye jesus must do that he must reveal scripture he must open the closed understanding. Unless he does, truth in the Old or New Testament will never break through, will never break forth in the heart of someone. But the opening of the eyes speaks of the release from religious blindness and spiritual darkness. And I want you to notice both of those terms. When Jesus opened the eyes of someone pertaining to Scripture, it releases them from religious blindness Blindness, things they've been taught all their life. There's people here tonight that's experienced that. They're like, wow. I've taught Bible studies. They're like, wow. Uh, The man I referenced in Youngstown, the, the janitor that was dancing with his vacuum cleaner, got a revelation of one God. He told me later, he said, I am so angry with the pastor that I grew up under that he never taught me this. So it released him from a religious blindness for religious people. But it also opens the eyes of lost people concerning spiritual darkness. The opening of the scripture signified the unlocking of the truth that is contained in it, which the natural or carnal man can never see. There's a difference between, listen to pastor, there's a difference between being taught the scripture and having God reveal it to you. the opening of the understanding speaks of that light and illumination that comes to the heart in connection with the opening of spiritual eyes and a revelation of truth. I had the Bible study with Paul Thompson that I uh, uh, referenced here several Sundays ago where he slapped his knee and just said, I see it, I see it, I see it. And I asked him, what do you see? He said, there's one God, there's one God, there's one God. The Holy Ghost does that, and it's beautiful and amazing when it happens, and everybody said amen. Are you all on board? You following me? You're wondering where all this is going. It's going to take me a while to get there, but we'll get there. Paul reasoned with the Jews out of the Scriptures and showed to them how that Jesus of Nazareth was the prophetical and historical fulfillment of them in Acts 17. The correspondences between these two are evident. It is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who can only take the seven-sealed book. We call it the book of Revelation, the Greek Biblion, and open the seals thereof, giving understanding not only to John, but to also the churches, the Bible said in Revelation 5. The Apostle Paul, in contrasting and comparing the glories of the Old Covenant, or the Old Testament, with the New Covenant in 2 Corinthians 3, explained the blindness that settled upon the heart of the Jews as a whole in regards to Jesus. Their Old Testament scriptures had foretold the coming of the Messiah, how he would suffer, and the glory which was to follow. Yet blind unbelief settled upon that nation. They could not discover Christ in their own scriptures because of this blind unbelief. Paul writes in Second Corinthians 3, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil until taken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. So the, blue, the, the Jews are still in a state of blindness. They still do not believe Jesus was their Messiah, even though their Old Testament scripture says it. So how many times have believers said that is from the Old Testament and there's nothing in the Old Testament for us today that was all done away with in Christ. We only need the New Testament. I've heard people say that. The Old Testament is looked upon as a historical book only. The writings of the prophets are related to natural, natural Israel. And so the church is robbed of much truth that belongs to it with this type of reasoning. So I'll ask you tonight why study... The Old Testament, because much of this study of the Tabernacle of David causes us to go to that which is shadowed forth in the Old Testament. It is necessary to understand why we need to underst- we need to study these writings. The following are a number of reasons why the believer may use the Old Testament scripture in searching out that which pertains to this subject. The tabernacle of David is part of the scripture. That was given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Christ himself expounded the things in the Old Testament scriptures concerning, concerning himself and the law, the Psalms, and the prophets as we just said. The things that were written aforetime in the Old Testament were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope according to Romans 15 verse 4. Jesus himself came to fulfill the law and the prophets in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Jesus said that the law and the prophets prophesied in Matthew eleven thirteen. 13. The Old Testament prophets spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. It was revealed to them that their utterances did not just concern their own generation but others to follow. The things that happened in, the Old, Testament, in Old Testament history in Israel were for types of, and in samples, the Bible said, it's examples and instance in these things that are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages are come. The writer to the Hebrews said in the volume of the book, it is written of me, that is of Christ, in Hebrews ten seven, Psalm 46 and 8. The scripture speaks of the first and, and, and afterwards that which is, uh, excuse me, the scripture speaks of first the natural and afterwards that which is spiritual in 1 Corinthians 15. And this is a principle which may be applied in this study. The tabernacle of Moses was given as a shadow, a type, a pattern of the eternal, the spiritual, and heavenly realities. It's a great Bible study to study. That is the tabernacle of Moses. It's also applicable to the tabernacle of David, which we'll get to in a couple of Wednesday nights. The tabernacle of David sets forth divine knowledge, and truth in a material tent, an external form. We go back and look at the external form to discover the knowledge and the truth is hidden in it. The external forms of the old covenant may pass away, but the knowledge and the truth in it, and it is retained by the New Testament, and it remains in the New Testament. So the the Bible is very clear that we don't throw away the Old Testament. We, We just don't pitch it out and say it's not applicable. It is applicable. Again, I'll remind you, it was the Bible of the New Testament church. It's the only Bible they had. And they built our wonderful one God apostolic doctrine that we hold so dear today. They only had Old Testament scripture to qualify it. That's why the Old Testament is so important. So let's talk for a few moments about the Old Testament as it worked in the book of Acts church. The book of Acts is, uh, as also the whole of the New Testament reveals what an opening or revelation the apostles did receive concerning Christ and his church. Foreshadowed and prophesied of in the Old Testament. Many believers see Christ in the Old Testament but fail to see the church in the Old Testament. The T's two cannot be separated christ is the head of the church and the church is his body and they're one and they're not separate god foretold not only the things concerning christ but also the things which concern his body the church so the apostles continually appealed to the law the psalms and the prophets for all that jesus through the holy spirit was doing in the midst of them if you read the Gospels. Jesus quoted the Old Testament often, and as my memory serves me correctly, He quoted the book of Jeremiah more than any other book. But they continually used Old Testament Scripture to verify the fulfillment and the legitimacy of what was happening in their midst, not only in the ministry of Jesus, but also in the book of Acts and the book of Acts Church. So there's a number of references taken from the book of Acts. Each of these will show clearly how the early church made use of the Old Testament and also how they interpreted many of these Old Testament passages, again, to affirm what was happening in their midst. I'm going to tell you, most of us here tonight would be lost as a goose if you took the New Testament out of our Bible. Brother Murphy, I can't can't teach repentance in Jesus' name, baptism, and all that just out of the Old Testament. And Why not? It's in there. Study the tabernacle of Moses. You have repentance, water baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You have studying the Word of God. You have the light of the church. You have praise and worship, the altar of incense. You have the Holy of Holies and, and the Ark of Covenant and all and all the things contained in the Ark of Covenant. You can go through every bit of that and, and teach apostolic doctrine and discipleship just in that one study. <clears throat> Y'all still with me? Y'all hang with me. So I'm going to give you some references taken from the book of Acts. And, and it shows how the early church made use of the Old Testament and how they interpreted Scripture. So a close consideration of these passages will show that the New Testament writers, listen, the New Testament writer became the infallible interpreter of the Old Testament prophet. Think about that. They did not correct the Old Testament. They didn't change the Old Testament. They became the infallible interpreters of what the Old Testament was saying. They give us safe guidelines to follow as we interpret Old Testament Scripture in light in the light of, of Christ and His church. These passages are briefly listed with the emphasis being on these persons who wrote the Law, the Psalms, and the Prophets. Remember, Jesus opened their understanding. So they understood the benefit and the value and the weight and the merit of the Old Testament. And that's why they used it so handily and so amazingly throughout the book of Acts. So notice, in Acts chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, from the Psalms, the Bible said, David spoke by the Spirit concerning Judas Iscariot and what he did. So right off the bat, in Acts chapter 1, the apostles are quoting from the book of Psalms, saying, hey, David prophesied that this was going to happen with Judas. In Acts chapter 2, who did Peter quote? Nobody knows. In the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit. Who said that? Who? He quoted Joel. We hoop and holler over that scripture quite often. Praise God, pastor, preach it. real preach it. This was their New Testament text for Simon Peter. Old Testament. A minor prophet. But Jesus opened their understanding, and Peter understood the application of Joel chapter 2 to what was happening in Acts chapter 2, and he quoted it and said, If you have any question about what's going on, what happened to us in the upper room, and what about to happen to you, go back and read the old prophet. Before Jesus was born in Joel chapter 2, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, he said. Quote in the Old Testament. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. From the Psalms, David spoke of Messiah's resurrection and ascension. Peter used that reference. In Acts 3, the law the, and, and, and Moses foretold the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ. In Acts 3, again, the prof, from the prophets Samuel and all the prophets that followed him spoke of these days. In Acts 4, from the Psalms, and David spoke of the Messiah in the Psalms. In Acts 8... The prophets, Isaiah prophesied of Messiah's suffering on the cross. In Acts 13, verse 15, 38 through 41, from the law and the prophets, Habakkuk spoke of God's works in Messiah's times. In Acts 10, from the prophets, all the prophets, he said, who spoke foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glory to follow. Acts 17, verses 2 through 3, from the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures, Paul opened and allege that Jesus of Nazareth was the fulfillment of the scriptures of the Old Testament. In Acts 28, from the law and the prophets, Moses and Isaiah spoke of Christ. They're using Old Testament to legitimize what was happening in their day. In Acts 15, from the prophets, it was the prophet Amos who prophesied of the tabernacle of David and the coming in of the Gentiles. Let me share that scripture setting. Um, I'll share it. I'm running out of time. I'll share it next Wednesday. There's a cursory or a brief glance over this brief list of references. It shows us how much insight the early apostles received and how much they used the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. They used them as being prophetic and interpretive of God's movement In their times. I feel very confident here tonight. That I could get up this coming Sunday. And read all of these verses in the Old Testament. And still preach an apostolic message. The Old Testament is not old and outdated and can be tossed away. It still shows us just how amazingly these men prophesied. And how accurately they prophesied the coming of Christ and even the outpouring of Of the Holy Ghost. So, the whole of the New Testament, all of the New Testament, all of it is a revelation of that which was in the seed of the Old Testament. The Gospels, the book of Acts, the apostles, the book of Revelation abound in quotations and interpretive revelation of that which was hidden in the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. You folks have to understand when Jesus, I, I teach a Bible study about our plan of salvation, and and start with what Jesus taught them in the Gospels and how they repeated what Jesus taught them in the book of Acts. When Jesus opened their understanding, they had that giant aha moment. Wow, that's what that means. And so they didn't hesitate to turn to Old Testament Scripture and said, let me preach to you about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They had no hesitation in doing that. Let me show you in Scripture, they said, in the Old Testament, how Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. How he was going to be born in a manger or a stable. How he was going to grow up as the son of a carpenter. Let me show you that in the Old Testament. All of this fits Jesus' life perfectly. So he must be our Messiah. But they didn't base their beliefs or teaching on just what they knew. They based it on what Jesus Revealed to them. Okay, this is an important point that I'll share with you tonight uh, for the next few moments in conclusion. The Old Testament is full of what I like to call divine cameos. I don't know if y'all are familiar. Remember, some of you old people, 60 and up, will remember cameos. Um, The little old ladies at church when I was a kid... They'd wear that, I think they may even call it a brooch, something like that. They wouldn't wear a necklace. But I'm going to wear that. Just take it off your neck. And it's apostolic. I'm meddling now. We'll move on. Anyway, but they, they would wear, some of these were and, and I remember some of them. Uh, I remember talking to Cassie Crochet uh years ago in Baker when I first taught this series. Her mother, sister davis uh, brother and sister Davis were founding pastors of this church, and they did an amazing job. But her mother used to wear a cameo. What it is is it's uh usually they're oval and they have like uh pottery um, uh, masonry kind of stuff in the middle. And, and the back of it, it's, it's two levels. It's 2D, two-dimensional. The back tells a general story. And then as you come up to the second level of it, it has more detail and more specific about what's going on in the background of it. And so to some of these ladies, I think some of them weren't, didn't even know what it was or what it meant. But if you did, it was, it was kind of an honor and a privilege. It, it meant something. It was valuable to them. The Old Testament is much the same way. There's there's cameos. There's a story that you read in the Old Testament. But then as you begin to read between the lines, you understand it's not just an Old Testament story. But it has a lot of fulfillment in the New Testament. It paints a more clear picture when you get to the New Testament. Let me share this with you tonight quickly. Webster's Dictionary defines the word cameo as a gem having two layers with a figure carved in one layer so that it is raised on the background of another. Many things in Old Testament history were actually designed by God himself to be such. So God often asked men, God often asked men in the Old Testament to do typically what he himself would fulfill actually. He would ask the men in the Old Testament to do typically what he himself would fulfill actually in the New Testament. So you'll you'll need to note here, this is not to say that these things did not actually take place in the Old Testament. It is simply to say that the historical event was also a typical foreshadowing of that which God would fulfill in Christ and in his church in the New Testament era. The example I'll present to you tonight is Abraham offering up Isaac. Does that ring a bell to anybody? In this chapter, we have the account of Abraham being called by God to offer up his only begotten son, Isaac, as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. So Abraham took his son, Isaac, and after three days' days journey, offered him typically, typically on this chosen mount. Hear the redemptive name of Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide is revealed. It's revelation there. But you read the rest of the story, a ram was ultimately offered up instead of Isaac. Hebrews eleven, seventeen through nineteen tells us that Abraham offered Isaac the son of promise, and received him back from the dead in a figure or type. Who can fail to recognize this as a divine cameo? The gem of truth on one layer raised on the background of another is evident. God would in due time offer his only begotten son, Jesus, on Mount Calvary in connection with the sign of the three days and three nights that Abraham traveled and so on. The son of promise would be raised from the dead after that. However, instead of an animal being offered in his stead, as it was for Isaac, Jesus would be offered in the stead of animals, thus abolishing Old Testament animal sacrifices by his sinless, perfect, and once and for all sacrifice. So God got Abraham to do typically in the Old Testament what God himself would do actually in the New Testament. So this is indeed a divine cameo. There's two things happening at the same time, if you will. The second and and the last... Uh, cameo I'll present to you tonight is the high priest of Abraham I'll share one more with you after this is the high priest Aaron another cameo is that which represented in the high priestly ministry of Aaron Aaron is taken from among men and ordained for men to offer both gifts and sacrifices for the whole nation of Israel in his priestly ministration his as officiating sanctuary priest and offerer of sacrifice. He shadows forth the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Aaron presented in himself the whole nation of Israel before Jehovah. There was but only one high priest, one mediator between God and man, so that anyone and everyone in Israel would come to God, must come to God through Aaron. So who can fail to appreciate the divine cameo that set forth here? The, the writer to the Hebrew sets forth this gem of truth on its Layer and it's raised on the background of Israel's history as the other layer. Aaron's ministry pointed to Christ's ministry. The greater exceeds the lesser, in that in the Old Testament, priest and sacrifice were two separate things, while in the New Testament, Christ is both priest and sacrifice as one person. Christ ministers in the heavenly sanctuary, and all who would come to God universally must come to God through him. So God got Aaron the high priest to do typically what Jesus as high priest after the order of Melchizedek would do actually. Another divine cameo. So there's numerous divine cameos in the Old Testament once the pr- the, the principle of divine cameos is seen then it opens up the scriptures in a remarkable way. And we have these divine pictures or snapshots if you will within their particular framework And they only go to set forth the truths typically in the Old Testament as they would be fulfilled actually in the New Testament. So in conclusion tonight, the same is true when it comes to the tabernacle of David. God took King David and got him to demonstrate actually and typically what he would do actually and spiritually in Christ and in the church. I'm going to say that again. God took King David, you know, he danced before the ark with all of his might and all that, and the linen ephod God took King David and got him to demonstrate actually and typically what he, Jesus, would do actually and spiritually in the church. So the tabernacle of David is another of these divine cameos. Upon the historical background of David's times, there is raised this gem of truth. It has its limited framework, as all New Testament types do. But within this framework, God sets forth much spiritual truth, which is carried over into the New Testament church through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So upon, it's upon these foundation principles and interpretation of Scripture that we'll proceed to the exposition and discussion of David's, David's tabernacle. And I'm going to leave you all seriously hanging here tonight. Because this is where I'm stopping. So if you want to hear the rest of it, guess what? You'll have to be back here next Wednesday night. It's only going to get better. Are y'all with me tonight? Was it? Was it okay? Uh, uh, I'm I'm excited about this. I want all of Grace Church to hear it, and hopefully, folks that are not here tonight will go get on live stream, or Facebook Live, whatever a podcast I should say, and listen to it. And uh, But I want to show you guys ultimately that when we come to church on Sunday morning and the music cranks up and the drums start pounding and the bass guitar starts thumping and the singer starts singing, it's all, it's all of it is to an audience of one. And if we could understand that, it would change our environment so much more. And there may be some things that we will do in the future that uh, is going to help accentuate that as well so god bless you tonight thank you for your time your attendance and your patience uh thank you for being attentive uh i appreciate it very very much if you didn't catch all of this it'll be on our podcast here in a day or two go back and watch it again or listen to it again while you're at work try to get your head around uh the beauty of this study and you'll appreciate our next wednesday night study even more if you do so god bless you tonight In the wonderful name of Jesus, thank you all for being here. God bless you. Steve Elzenrath's ready to go. And uh, so y'all go. We don't want to make the man wait. So God bless you. We'll see how Sunday (laughs) you did it.